You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Interstate Batteries has been a proud supporter of the Sportsman's Nation since day one. With over 200,000 locations throughout the U.S. and offering 12,000 different types of batteries, stop into your local Interstate Battery store today and let them help you find the right batteries for your everyday life. You know, I'm thinking of like, what, what's so special about me? Why, why am I on a podcast? So I'm just a normal guy. Yeah. Well, hey, you're a normal guy, but we need to hear from normal guys. And you just happen to be in a spot where, you know what, you're, you're putting content about your normal hunting and people just want to hear about it. They yeah, that, soak it that up. That was, that was what, you know, I, uh, I thought I, I just, you know, a few years ago, I just wanted to read hunting stories. I didn't want to read how to's or, you know, tips and tricks. I just wanted to read people's stories. And I, I couldn't find a lot of that, so I was like, I'll just write my own. Welcome to the Huntivore Podcast, episode 27, Corey Sly. Nick sits down with Corey Sly, an editor and writer from Pennsylvania. Corey has a rich history in the outdoors growing up and is passing that experience onto his young family. We talk about nostalgic dishes, social media, and tempering expectations with kids. If you haven't yet, please leave us a rating or review. Every little bit helps. Now, on to the show. Hey, good evening, folks. Glad that you're able here to make it with us. I'm sitting here across from uh, the editor of harvesting nature it's a great blog online also um a go wild app ambassador i'm sitting across from Corey sly am i saying that right Corey? yep sly like a fox that's a nice name right there so yeah i'm sitting across from Corey, um and here tonight he's uh hails from pennsylvania so Corey, tell us a little bit about uh your mild-mannered day job what is it you do for a living I, I'm an engineer. I'm a quality engineer for a manufacturing company. So that's my mild-mannered day job. Not very exciting. Has nothing to do with the outdoors. Although uh, the company I work for, we make the hinge for the Kamado Joe grill and some other grills as well. So I have a Kamado Joe in my, my garage right now. So benefits <laughs> of working for, for that company. Gotcha. Did you did you get that Komodo one piece at a time out of the shop, or is it just the just <laughs> no. the hinge you guys make? <laughs> we we just make the hinge at our shop, but since we're a supplier for Komodo Joe, we got a, a discount on the on the grill. So, oh hey, that's a sweet deal. Yeah. Um, how does an engineer find himself 
as the editor of an outdoor blog? Have you always been into writing, into English, or is this just kind of like falling into your lap? Um, it's kind of a meandering story. Uh, you know, I've always hunted and fished, fished since I was little, um, you know, with my dad. And uh, um, I was looking for hunting stories online, something to read, something to keep me entertained. And I, I couldn't find very much of what I, what I wanted to do. So I started my own, my own blog, Outdoorsman Dad. And so I started talking about my hunting exploits and adventures and everything. And from there, I, I hooked up with Justin Townsend at Harvesting Nature and, and started writing for, for them as a field staff writer. And then since uh, I was pretty consistent doing that, he had me um, start doing some of the, the content editing for, for the website. So it just kind of progressed from there over several years. And then from there, I started writing for another website called Hunting the Empire, uh, which is based in uh, New York State and a little bit in Pennsylvania. I, I live right on the state line of Pennsylvania and New York, so it was it was a good match that way. And then I write some for uh, the Go Wild app. You'll see some of my stuff uh, in, in the app there. And then um, uh, I've been in the Pennsylvania Game News a couple times, so it's it's been a long progression, but I've slowly built up a little bit of a port writing portfolio. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I found that, you know, I, I try to do the thing with the camera and filming my hunts and everything, but I am not good in front of a camera or behind the camera. So I felt writing was my best media. So. Well, excellent. Yeah. I mean, I still can't even, I've taken a GoPro, I think twice into the stand and yeah caught nothing of what happened on because either I forget to record it or I'm looking one way and the the camera's looking a different and it just it never never seemed to work I got practice a little bit more <laughs> I I am not disciplined at that either the one time that I had the camera and actually had an opportunity the only thing visible in the camera is the the smoke from my flintlock going off but nothing else, just some trees and leaves in the background. So yeah, I'm, I'm not a, a hunting film guy. So no, I thought writing, writing was the best avenue to take. There you go. And it just kind of like the narrative that you're coming along from when it comes to writing, um, you're pulling a lot from your backstory. Um, just being on outdoor dad, um, and just seeing some of your work on, uh, harvesting nature. I, I feel a lot of tones of just your upbringing as a hunter and as an angler. Tell us a little bit of your backstory, Corey. Uh, living in Pennsylvania, how did you get in the outdoors? And who who brought you into the outdoor lifestyle? Well, it was it was mainly my dad. He uh, he, and I'm a very sentimental person, I guess. So you'll you'll see that in a lot of my writing, but. Uh, I owe a lot of it to my dad. Um, he took me out fishing when I was, you know, five years old. We shot bows together starting when I was five years old. And and so uh, it was because of him that I have a passion for the outdoors. And um, my uh, uh, grandmother and grandfather used to own a grocery store. And in that 
grocery store they had their own butcher shop by the time i was born the the store and everything was closed but uh the butcher shop still had all the equipment so we would go hunt the hillside above my grandmother's house and then everybody would they got a deer would drag it down and we'd we'd use the the butcher shop to process our own deer so i pull a lot from those experiences and those memories so it, it was you know i, I had a good ch- childhood good deal um and i was getting that from uh your mentors your elders is that really put the mission on you to now mimic that when it comes to up to to raising your family oh definitely definitely i i, I just you know think back to all the the great times my dad and I had and, you know, with our cousins and uncles and family friends and the, the cherished memories that, that I have with him. And, um, I'm, my dad and I are very close. Um, and I want to have that same relationship with my kids. I have, I have three kids. I have, a my oldest is seven and my, she's, uh, my daughter. And then I have two, two boys, uh, uh two and five. So, uh, I have my hands full, but, we're uh we're getting out there. My my daughter's been with me, um, squirrel hunting a few times, and my son's been out with me uh, a couple times. So, my oldest son, I haven't taken the little guy out yet, but that'll that'll happen here in a few years. Good deal. I I resonate a lot when I when I read your um your articles. I I too got I have three kids. I got three boys, um, and they are they are hungry for what dad's doing. Um, you know, the, the one year old, he hasn't done much yet, but I take the two year old in the backpack and we go chase down squirrels. That is his, that's his element right there. He loves to point them out to me. And then I got, I got a little bow for the the five year old. So I'm feeling a little bit of that sentimental as you know, I go through your writing and I'm like, yeah. yes, all right, you and you, you are coming with me. You are, we're going outside. <laughs> we're going to make memories. Damn it. You know. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, yeah. So, yeah, it's definitely, and I'm sure you know it. It, it tests your patience. Um, so, it, and I don't know. My dad's not the most patient man, but and and I have memories of him getting frustrated. But for the most part, yeah, he was. He made every attempt to for me to really enjoy the hunting and fishing that we did. Um, so I'm trying to take that same mentality, that same level of patience when I take my kids out. And, you know, I have the, the backpacks, too, and, um, you know, take them on uh, scouting trips. And we've we've jumped black bears and, you know, went fishing on it with them on my back and, and everything. So it, we've, we've already made some, some great memories together. So Excellent. Do you think, um, I know this is a broad topic um is this something that's missing from today's upbringing as we've we get another generation coming in and you know as as our generation is is raising kids um as much as i'm you know the the screen the technology it's it's a great tool i feel that it's it's kind of keeping kids indoors um you know, it, it is a, a hurdle, I want to say. I don't want to say it's a bad thing, but it's definitely a hurdle that we got to get over. Um, getting out and being a part of nature, is that something that's missing from today's upbringing? I, I think so. And, you know, there's, you know, you're always contending with, you know, iPads and, um, you know, video games and Netflix and all that stuff. So, you know, we make it a point that, 
to, to get outside and spend most, even if it's just in the backyard, you know, playing in the, in the dirt or something, we, we try to emphasize being outside over watching TV. Um, so, and I think there's definitely the culture has changed as well. And I can't tell you why that is. I, I remember, you know, being six, seven years old and just being out in, in the woods, you know, off on my own in the woods behind the house. You know, my parents didn't really worry where I was at now. You know, I would be worried sick if my daughter went out there being seven years old and I didn't see her for a couple hours. So I think I think that that overprotectiveness protectiveness doesn't doesn't help us out either but you know with today's world you can't be can't be too careful exactly yeah it is sad to say that things have changed in those the the good old days man i feel old talking about like the good old days (laughs) right right. turning out to be those folks um tell me one of your favorite uh stories going out with one of your kids you mentioned that um you know, you've had to be patient. Tell me, tell me a story where you've been out with one of your kids and you just really had to rely on patience. It just wasn't going right. Um, well, this past archery season, I took, uh, my son for the first time actually archery hunting. I've taken him squirrel hunting before where you can move around and be loud and it's not that big a deal. I was like, all right, we'll go, we'll go, um, sit on the edge of this field i had a pop-up blind i was like he can sit down and we took some toys and some snacks and it's like he can sit down he can move around um we're on the edge of a field you know we'll see some deer maybe not close up but you know it shouldn't be that bad you know it should be every everything should should go well and i've learned that you can't have those expectations when you take kids hunting but uh my son loves everything tractors and construction and John Deere and everything like that. So we we get to the to the edge of the field and we get to the field where we're going and we're walking in and they had just um, spread a layer of manure. So we're walking walking through that and we get to the edge of the field and my son can see the one tractor up on the hillside. So he wants to he wants to leave the spot and go back and watch the tractor. I was like, Oh, let's just sit for a little bit. Let's eat your snacks. So we get all set up and we're, you know, boots covered in mud, trying to, trying to stay somewhat clean. And he's munching on his snacks. And after about 15 minutes, he gets through all of his snacks and he's like, I'm ready to go home, dad. So it's like, you know, at that point I wasn't going to fight it. So we, we packed up, went home and sprayed down everything that had the the cow manure on it so it was you you got to know when to uh when to call it a day so yeah well you saw one deer a john deer that's what you saw <laughs> right, right. <laughs> they are they're they're just tough i mean you you do you it, it's almost you set yourself and you set them up for failure when you do put those those expectations um i Pulled one kid in the backpack. I'm thinking, hey, he loves going to chase squirrels. He's kind of being a dingbat in the house. So we go out, and it's, I mean, it's semi-cold, so I throw him in a, um, in his snowsuit, throw him in the back, and I knew he was going to get warm. And sure enough, I get about, you know, 10 minutes out there, and he falls asleep. 
but when he falls asleep, he leans heavy to one side, and it's just like this dead weight hanging either on the left, and so you like try to adjust, and then he leans <laughs> to the right, and so like navigating right, yeah. the woods is just impossible. <laughs> so yeah, he's just it's like catching or it's like trying to pack out a whole deer, but just not quartering it, just like <laughs> laying it on your back. So yeah, then it was ten minutes back. Well, it was about fifteen because <laughs> just trying to get that kid out of there. It is funny how we we set ourselves up for that. Um, transitioning too. Um, yeah, there's yeah, a and oh, keep going. We, we no, no. I just um, we we go squirrel hunting just to kind of keep the expectations low and to uh, you know have the best opportunity of actually seeing something. So we have uh, a few friends in the area. I have a few friends in the area that have kids about the same age as my, my, my oldest. And uh, we'll go out um, in October and go squirrel hunting as a big group. And um, we've, we've some couple years we've done, we've got some in a couple years we haven't seen anything. So, so the, that's, and then after the the hunt, we'll go to a friend's house and one of the friends' house and have a big breakfast or something. So it's a way to, you know, going with people keeps them interested and you know have something they're looking forward to afterwards. You know, keeps them interested. So it's it's fun to do that. Good deal. Um, I is the world's perspective is taking a look at hunting and fishing. I think sometimes it's. It, this these stories that we're just mentioning right now they're they're overlooked um a ton of attention is put on the shot the actual you know shot of the gun shot of the bow the the idea of getting the trophy um we're we're missing the narrative we're missing the bigger story um behind what we're doing i mean a yes we're pursuing an animal we're going to shoot it we're going to kill it and we're going to take it back and eat it but that's not I mean, that's kind of like the path that it follows, but that's not the whole story. Um, right. Is it kind of the responsibility of hunters to remind everybody about the lifestyle? Is it, are we, do we need to change our perspective, much like um, harvesting nature, you know, where you're telling the whole narrative, you're telling more than just what, the, what you're going after. Um, is it up to the hunter to be able to, to tell that narrative? I, I think so. And I wouldn't say change pers- perspective. I would say broaden it to encompass all aspects of that. And um, I mean, if, if we want our way of life to continue, we got to get the non hunters on our side so that things like what happened in New Jersey, where the black bear ban on public land came into effect because the governor wanted votes, you know, and um, and all the the other anti-hunting bills that are happening because um, they play on emotion. So we we got to show what the true, you know, why we truly hunt. Yes, we we and and we got to be true to ourselves too. It, I mean, population control, yes, but that's not the main reason. That's not even probably in the top five reasons, you know. Uh, as hunters we we just we love to go hunting we love we love the camaraderie of the hunting i love the memories that that we make while hunting um so we we gotta 
we got to share share that and you know broaden our perspective and then the one thing that i think that is helping the hunter's perspective is the the food aspect of it um the organic food movement the local locavore movement um is is definitely helping the hunting aspect um and you know there's a lot of people against factory farming and you know this is one way to 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 um to sell hunting is that it's you know you're not we're not factory farmers we're ethical hunters we're we're um we're putting thought into the process into how we acquire our food um and that's something i've thought more of in the last few years since uh, writing for harvesting nature is is the food aspect of it you know back you know when i was growing up and um you know living at home you know that the food was kind of you know the meat was kind of the afterthought you know it's great putting putting back straps on the grill but i mean didn't go much more you know elaborate than that now you know all the the different sausages i make and the um Oh, the asabuco and the roasts and and all the different things that 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 uh, Hank Shaw and Stephen Ranella do and that that I try to replicate. It, it's it's you know now one of the main reasons to hunt. I don't I don't buy meat in the store anymore. I got I I was fortunate enough to harvest four deer this past season, so I have a freezer full and we don't we don't need to buy meat we don't need to buy beef from the store anymore we have we have our organic venison that that i procured with my own two hands so it's i think we need as hunters we need to go we continue to go that that route and that show that perspective because i think that really that really appeals to the non-hunter um uh, about you know the food acquisitions and and the the, the ethics behind it yeah totally totally agree with you um that's i mean the whole reason i think that i really got into the woods was you know what i don't i want to taste something good i want something wholesome um i've i've grown up in a farming community so i'm not you know i I see what small farms can do and then you hear about big factory farms and it is like i don't know i don't know about that but you're telling me i got something tasty running around behind me in our our back 40 and being able to do that and you know i would love to see a comparison of the amount of calories i've eaten from venison versus the amount of calories that i've spent trying to procure <laughs> venison i think we could also add in a weight loss program you know not looking at my gut size right now i think beer will definitely make up for for lost cows but um but i think you hit the nail right on the head is that that's i think is as we go through and we talk about you know, we're, yeah, we're pursuing these animals and the true trophy is sitting on the plate in front of us. Um, you know, venison diplomacy or wild turkey, uh, diplomacy, black bear diplomacy, whatever is there. You're not, you forget the hide, forget the, the rack. Let's talk about what we're really after. And those mementos that we hold on to, I think maybe that's the thing is like, yeah, I do have trophies at home. I do have these mementos to remind me of what it is, but that doesn't mean anything to anybody else. 
It's on my right. wall for me. And I tell the story of that animal to people who are interested. I'm not looking around to get likes or to get follows because of it. I mean, I live in Michigan. There ain't anything big. I mean, eight points and we start freaking out over here. It's, you know, there's not big deer to be found. But at the same time, those littler bucks, those smaller deer are something that we hold really dear because just like you're saying, there's, there's more to than that rack. It is the story behind it. It's the meals that it brings us. Um, and it, that that's excellent. You, you hit the nail right on the head. Take a quick swig here. So, man, you got your hands in a lot of different things here, Corey. Um, one of which is uh, the Go Wild app. Um, tell me a little bit about this Go Wild app. I did sign on, and I've got myself an account. And I think Good. I got I got three or four posts on there right now. Um, Good. But for the folks that are saying, what what's a Go Wild app? Lay out what we got here. Well, um, it's social media that caters not only to the hunter and angler, but to the outdoor enthusiast in general. Um, it's kind of a mix between like Instagram and Reddit and that type of stuff where um, you can upvote and like the more popular um, posts, I think, stay more relevant. And then there's different trails. So if you're into uh, whitetail hunting, you can follow that trail. So you see everything that people post that's related to whitetail hunting. And so anything you can think of in the outdoors, there's probably a trail for it. You know, kayaking, mountain biking, hiking, camping, bass fishing, trout fishing, deer hunting, elk hunting. You know, if it's in the outdoors, there's probably a trail for it. So you can follow that and you can connect with like-minded people. Um there's not an anti-hunter um, element to it. There's no, you know, nasty comments that I've seen anyway. Um, and I, um, so it's and what I've found with the Go Wild community, it's very friendly. You ask a question, you get, you know, a dozen responses within the hour of you know trying to help you out and or getting you in touch with people that that can answer your question. Um, Brad Luttrell uh, is the CEO and founder, and I think he's created something pretty special. Um, they also have like a, uh, I, uh, I don't know if it's patented or proprietary, but it's like a scoring system. Um, and, and it's really geared to get you out into the outdoors. So you can log trophies. Um, say, you know, you, you shoot an eight-point whitetail buck on public land and you know it has a 20 inch spread you put that all into to the to the system and it'll shoot you out like a 300 400 score and then you can uh, log uh, time like hiking or biking or scouting or uh, kayaking or whatever it may be it just shows you how much time you spent in in the outdoors they do activity tracking so um, you can, uh, log into the app and track your activity while you're hunting. So I did it while I was turkey hunting. So it showed me, you know, the, uh, distance I traveled and, um, kind of like 
the the direct and it doesn't give actual locations in the in the oh good the sweet so you don't have to worry about <laughs> giving your spot up but it, it'll show you the path that you took and um they have um they have a partnership with uh, garmin watches so when you're shooting and i don't have a garmin watch so i haven't been able to to do this part of it so um it, it measures your heart rate as you're shooting your bow so you can see you know your spikes and heart rate and so it from what i've seen it, it it's pretty pretty neat um functionality in it uh and and brad and his team are just adding more and more functionality to it they're um partnering partnering up with some great great companies um and uh, it's it's yeah it's it's a great community to be in if you're if you're into the outdoors so that's great i i love the idea when it definitely when it comes to like a community idea like you do you find you find that like group on facebook and you just it everything's positive about what they're putting out. Nobody's bringing anybody down and you just, all you do is want to flock back to it, ask questions, answer questions, and you don't feel like you're being held back by any means. And to have that in a social media platform where you can feel like, yeah, I can throw this out and you know, I feel uplifted about it. No matter if it's, you know, again, you tell the story of it and it's going to, you know, people are going to recognize the value of that as opposed to like, Oh, you shot something. Um, right, and not to you know it gets gets over here um in the recent social media we're we're seeing even some high profile hunters and anglers and even wild game cooks like their stuff is just getting blocked, and I've even seen it from the butchering side, like a guy is showing here as I break down a beef, and man, blam blocked it, you know it's it can't be seen, granted, I mean, you can click it and like you can skip yeah. it and see it, but the fact that it's gone to that point where, man, it even these high-profile folks are getting uh, blocked out of content that may or may not be that offensive. Right? Yeah, it's yeah, it's getting getting pretty crazy. And I know I I did a, a podcast with Whitetail Rendezvous, and they they Facebook and Instagram wouldn't let us post the link to that podcasts i'm not sure why that they never explained it but they for some reason we couldn't link to the website we just had to say go to our what go to the website so it was it was strange maybe maybe it's a badge of honor now you know when when facebook or instagram either says no you can't do that or they block something like you've made it now (laughs) right well hey while we got you here, thanks again for listening. Dustin, where can our listeners engage more with us? They can check us out on Instagram at Hunnivore. They can check us out on Facebook, The Hunnivore. Or send us an email at Hunnivore at gmail.com. We've also joined the Sportsman's Nation family of passionate outdoorsmen. Um, they come together with lots of great content. You can check out their website at sportsmansnation.com. 
They're also on Instagram and Facebook with the handle Sportsman's Nation. Um, in fact, if you check out their blog, we have a recipes already up. And they are a 2% for conservation company, which means as a business, they give 1% of their time and 1% of their earnings back to the wildlife and wild places that we love. I think that's pretty sweet. Anyway, back to the show. But I, I love the idea of a place that we can go as hunters, as anglers, as even foragers, sportsmen in general, outdoor enthusiasts that we can put on. You know what? I mean, the the possibilities that with this app, like you were talking about, it logs your miles and logs your stuff. Like It's almost like RunKeeper, but at the same time, now it has that feature of I'm actually hunk, hiking. I'm not just walking. So right. it it's a little bit more up our alley. Um, being coy, just a little bit, I did have a devil's advocate question along with the Go Wild app. Um, yes, it is kind of like a refuge that we feel like, hey, we can share about this, and that is important. I don't want to take away from that. Um, the app is great. The app's wonderful. And in fact, for my listeners, if you haven't checked it out, I highly recommend heading over there. It's a great community to uh, work in. They even have a cooking section that not only can you post stuff on, um, you can find stuff from Corey, you can find stuff from um, Harvesting Nature, you can find a lot of things on that website So it's or on that app. It's a great thing. But my question is, if if we're supposed to be telling our story to the world, on more than just that we're going out there to kill it for the trophy. Have we created an echo chamber and limiting our outreach? You know, if we're being blocked from these main social medias, the Instagram, the YouTube, the Facebook, if we're, you know, we're coming up to adversity there and rather flock to the Gold Wild app, are we just kind of in an echo chamber and forgetting everybody else? Well, because of the, the how the app encompasses all the outdoor activities, you know, I think there's there's a lot there's a lot of hunters and anglers on the app, but there's also a lot of non-hunters that participate in you know skiing or snowboarding that are also in the app, or um, you know hikers and campers and stuff that are also in the app. So they'll they you know they're still non-hunters that are in the app that are that enjoy the outdoors and when they see you know what we're doing as hunters how we're advocating for our our lifestyle and, and know that we're not some you know redneck beer swelling sh- whack well I, I like ted nugent but whack him and stack him. <laughs> um that that it's not all like that, then, you know, we're opening up their minds and then, um, and then, you know, there's a lot of non hunters that, you know, want to get into hunting, but have no way or, you know, don't know where to start. And, you know, I've had a few conversations with people through, through go wild about, you know, where to start and how to get started and, and what you need to do. And, um, so I, I think there, you know, there, there may be some element of, of an echo chamber, but, um, it's 
for the entire outdoor space. So there's no, it's not just hunters and, and anglers. It's there's, there's other people in there too, that, that see, you know, see us for what we, I guess what hunters truly are, you know, advocates and conservationists. And, and so I, I think, I think it helps as good deal. Good deal. I love how you just said that, like, there's people out there searching for, Hey, I want to, I want to get into this. How can I help? And that being a community, people are willing to jump in and, and be a part of that. I feel like maybe we got to let the CEO know, like, if you do take out someone new, that should be like, like a hundred bonus points or, you know, like 400 points or something, or you get like a rollover from every time they get a trophy, you get a trophy or something. That's a, that's a good idea. I'll have to talk to Brad about that. Uh, there, there is a mentorship trail in there that, that, uh, um, you know, people post about helping out others to, you know, get them started in in the hunting out, out, uh, hunting space. But, um, you know, Brad has tapped me to uh, help some of his contacts that are in the Pennsylvania area to to get them going. He has a friend that that wants to get started, but has you know never hunted a day in his life, has nothing to do. So we've been in contact, you know, going back and forth. Hey, what you know, what kind of gun should I get? You know, what kind of camo clothing should I get? So it's and and I enjoy doing it. So it's fun. I've done it with a couple of my my close friends from college that you know did stuff you know were fishermen and hiked and everything but never really hunted before so helping them get get into hunting and seeing them get their first first deer with the bow is is pretty cool so that is cool that is cool um i do want to back up one thing that uh you did you mentioned earlier uh that you had taken you tried to take a video of you using your flintlock muzzle loader um if if folks aren't aware um the muzzle loader is pretty much a a musket you load it from the the end uh there's no like bolt or anything you're not putting a shell in you actually have to make the charge put in the bullet but then you have these elements of there's like space age uh muzzle loaders and then there's like way back way, like we're talking Daniel Boone style flintlock. Jeremiah me, Johnson. Yeah, Jeremiah Johnson as well. Tell me about you out there with your flintlock. I mean, as as a writer, you have like nostalgia by the balls at this point. You could talk anything you wanted about uh, this flintlock. What possessed you to throw technology to the side? Um and I've I've kind of found myself like this in the archery world. I picked up a traditional bow, and I've got aspirations of it. But tell me about your flintlock and what that experience was like. Uh, I I love the movie Jeremiah Johnson. Um, I I, I want to be a mountain man, and uh, and my dad did flintlock hunting just a couple years before I was born, and he hated it. He said it made him flinch. So I never, he never did it when I was growing up. So I never did it, uh, with them, but, uh, you know, I want to be like Jeremiah Johnson. And then in Pennsylvania, I think Pennsylvania is the only state that has a dedicated flintlock season. 
um, where you can't use a, uh, an inline muzzleloader. You have to use a flintlock. You can't even use a cap lock. You have to use a flintlock. Um, and Pennsylvania has a season that, that runs the day after Christmas to like the second weekend in January. And this is after, you know, a six week long archery season and a two week long rifle season. And it's always, you know, below zero and snowing and blowing, at least in my area. And it's, it's tough hunting. Um, but it, it was, I wanted to extend my hunting and trying to archery hunt because it's a flintlock slash archery season trying to archery hunt in that late season is just next to impossible um i'm not a good enough hunter to to be successful at it so i thought you know let's try flintlock hunting and i really enjoy it it's to me it's it's really fun you know seeing you know the 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 powder the big puff of smoke and that click kaboom and and uh i i really enjoy it um the uh the first year that i did it i borrowed my uncle's flintlock uh just to see it i didn't i wasn't sure if i'd like it and i didn't want to spend the money on a gun unless i knew i wanted to do it and um so i, I borrowed his and uh i i went out i think i i went out several times during that late season to try to get one and I was hunting this one property and I finally had them figured out. I was like, okay, they're going to be on this slope at this time. I can walk in from here. I, you know, I got them figured out. I know what to do. Um, so I, I did that. And I, you know, I got there when I needed to get there and I walked in, I was quiet and they stood up right where I expected them. It was about a 50 yard shot. I cocked the hammer back on, on the, flintlock and i pull up and i go click i'm like oh you know powder didn't go off i gotta gotta put more powder in the pan and i i go to do that and i realize that i did not have a flint in the hammer of the flintlock <laughs> so it doesn't matter how much powder i have in the pan it's not going to work was, the, the weekend before it was it was rainy and so i got the gun all wet so when i got home i what you know took it apart wiped it all down and put it back together but never put the flint back in the gun so needless to say i will never make that mistake again and uh so that was that was a that was a, a lesson learned and and then after that season i i decided it's something i wanted to do so i i bought my bought my own and then Pennsylvania has an early season, early muzzleloader season in October. It's in the middle of archery season. Um, it's doe only, and you can use an inline. And I was like, well, I'll use my flintlock, and I'll hunt the deer just like I hunt during archery season. I'll use my archery stands. And this was the the video that I have. Um, I... I uh, I was like, oh, I know, you know, I have some good, good spots. And I know doe come in consistently. I'll, I'll use my flintlock to get those doe. So, you know, I get all set up and get up and get my camera all set up. And this, this little doe comes right in about 15 yards. I'm fiddling with the camera. I'm rushing and I hurry up and take the shot. But it was just a slight hang fire. So, and I wasn't on a rest. So as I 
right after I pulled the trigger, I dropped my gun, lifted my head to see where I hit, and I shot right underneath the deer. You could see the leaves go. Uh. And, I, and I, you know, I was so upset with myself to the point I was sick to my stomach. I was, I was, you know, seeing that deer come down the trail, I was lusting for it. I was like, oh, I'm going to, you know, steaks tonight. I'm, you know, <laughs> and. I, like I was so upset with myself. I think it was only like eight o'clock in the morning. I was so upset. I just climbed out of the tree and went home. Like I'm done for the day. Uh, so yeah, and um, not this past season, but the season before is the first time I I got something with with uh, with my flintlock. Um, we were hunting in the Allegheny National Forest with a group of friends, and they were putting on a drive and. I think it was the uh, my fourth, third or fourth shot of the drive. I finally, uh, finally connected on one, and uh, and then this last last year I got one on the on the very last day of of the season. So yeah, I think I I really enjoy it. It's 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 a lot of fun. And the last two years I've gotten the a deer with my bow, with my rifle, and with my flintlock. So it's oh, it's like the cool triple to... crown, right? Right. So it's pretty cool to say say I'm, I was able to do that. So that is cool. And you know, I'm sure when you brought down that deer, even even on the drive, like you know, you use the flintlock, but you've got the prior experience of a not showing up with the flint, and then shooting underneath it. Like you can't quantify like the feeling you get once something comes together after right. all these pieces and, have been falling apart. Yeah. And, and th- both of those hunts, it, it wasn't the perfect hunt that on that drive, um, the shot I took, like it, it was a little further, you know, um, it was a little f- further than, um, than I would want it to be. And, uh, uh, after I shot everything just scattered and I didn't know what happened. I had no idea if I hit it and the drivers came through and they're down there looking for blood and, and, um, they couldn't find anything, couldn't find anything in the, and I, I'm kind of directing them where to go. And I, you know, I think it was more this way. And all of a sudden I see my one friend crouch down and start sneaking over and then he goes out of sight. And I hear a boom. And what happened is my shot was far back. I, I gut shot it. And um, and using I was I use patched round balls um, in my flintlock, so they don't they don't really expand and leave much of a blood trail. So there was no blood. He just my friend just happened to see a flick of a tail or an ear or something, and he snuck up and he uh, finished it off for me. So it's not not really the way that. Uh, that I would prefer to get it, but you know, still got it. And then the one last year, it was, it was moving. I couldn't get it to stop. So I, I, I had a good rest, took the shot, but didn't make, didn't connect in the, you know, the best place and, uh, took, you know, another shot or two to, to, uh, you know, finish it off. 
Well, that's it, part of the whole story is you got to get better. Right. And I'm sure Jeremiah Johnson has plenty of stories of him either missing or hitting them in the far back. So, yeah, it, it's fun. And I always, I always look forward to it. And, you know, we, uh, we try to coordinate a big drive in the late season in the, in the national forest and Pennsylvania has uh, special permits. They're called uh, deer management assistance permits for um, areas where they want to, you know, try to keep the deer population down. So we, we put in permits for those areas. So we all have a tag for that area. So we're all, you know, we all can carry, carry a flintlock and, Last year, we got what we we just got one on the drive. The year before, we got two. Now, and that that's a that's a crazy story. I don't know if you want to hear another story. Oh yeah, I'm uh, ready, man. We're we uh, I'm trying to remember. We had maybe six or eight guys. Um, and so a couple of us walked in to be the standers to you know to set up and have them push to us and. Um, as they were pushing to us, one of the, the drivers was carrying his flintlock and he managed to, um, get a shot off and, uh, he, he hit it. So, um, you know, I was all ready to go, go with them to, to track the deer. And he said, no, he's, he's got it taken care of. There was snow on the ground. He's, you know, it was easy blood trail to fall. And, uh, he said, go, go and do more drives. So we went and did another drive. I got a deer. Um, we did several more drives and, you know, finally get a hold of our friend. And he goes, do any of you have a kayak? And I'm like, you know, <laughs> why do we need a kayak? <laughs> what he had tracked that deer for, uh, it had a, at least a half a mile, maybe a mile. And it had crossed a section of the Allegheny River out onto an island and um he couldn't get his gun to go off um so we all you know we all finally go down we try to get on the bank try to see on the island and we just you know can't can't get a shot off or can't get a good look so he had to go to a friend's house get a kayak go across the river uh get on the island and dispatch the uh the deer on the island and then we had to tie a rope to it and drag it through the river to get it get it back to us so it was <laughs> it was quite an experience that's an epic story it, go I, go wild would give that, it five hundo <laughs> <laughs> that's the uh that i that's the story i wrote about uh for the pennsylvania game news um so that one that was just in the game news this past i think it was, it was this january it was in the game news so that was that was a one of those hunts that you won't forget and that you always you know every year you you say hey remember that time so it's, excellent uh, as uh, as Ranella puts it what is it stage two fun you know where it's, right, it yeah. sucked at the moment but everybody's gonna remember it later right oh good hey Corey we are down to the two dish breakdown. Uh, what I want to require from you is two dishes that uh, that you would make. Um, first one is I'm going nostalgic. I'm going with growing up family style in Pennsylvania. Now, I'm from Michigan. We got a lot of uh, deer camp, 
nostalgia. We got, I mean, we've got the pasties. Like that's our big thing. But I want to know, uh, what is a dish that you and your family or your your dad would make that brings you back the days of being a young hunter when you were just a little kid? What do you remember eating? Well, my unfortunately, my dad wasn't much of a cook. Um, my grandmother was, and she could, from stories from my dad, she could cook just about any wild game. And by the time I was old enough to appreciate that, she, she wasn't able to, to be in the kitchen anymore. But my, my aunt, my dad's older sister had some of that knowledge and, you know, being 12 years old, you love to go out and shoot squirrels and rabbits and, you know, chase, chase all that small game. So I would give um, the squirrels and rabbits to my aunt, and she would make me um, homemade squirrel noodle soup. And that was one thing I always looked forward Her That and her applesauce. I loved her applesauce. But um, that was one thing that, that I always looked forward to her making me was, was that noodle soup. And I've tried to recreate that, but I, I, what I do is never as good as what, what she made. So that's that's uh, – that was that's very nostalgic for me. Yeah, you're battling history when you're trying to recreate it, but squirrel noodle soup, I like it. You know what? Chicken noodle soup can cure a cold, but a squirrel can cure a whole lot more influenza. Right, right. So what's in that squirrel noodle soup? Is it? I mean, just the noodles, the squirrel. Are you are you talking the basic uh, carrot, yeah, celery, base- onion sort of thing? Yep, yep, the basics some you know seasoning and, and whatnot but i don't I, i'll have to call her to get her exact recipe i i, I made my own version um hers sorry i just blipped there for a second but yeah you've you've made it and it uh it just doesn't add quite up to hers but at the same time i, I say hey good on you trying to recreate it all right this one this one's got a little weight to it and this is date night. The kids are off to babysitters or grandma, grandpas. They are out of the house. And it is just you and the lady. I, I feel a little Nora Jones coming in in the background. Um, but you're cooking in tonight. What are you making? What are you preparing so that this date goes just right? And make sure you don't leave out any details. <laughs> Um, I'm fortunate that my wife enjoys venison even more so than beef. We, uh, so I have that going for me and what I would probably do, um, just to keep things simple and, uh, from me stressing out too much and, you know, worrying about screwing something up is, uh, when I, when I butcher my, my deer, I keep, I cut the backstrap backstraps just in half so i have you know a length you know eight ten inches long whole backstrap and what what i do is i'll uh, coat that in olive oil and then put um seasoning on that usually something from tacticalories um uh, a salt and pepper or the the battlegrounds blend and then i'll put that on the kamado joe with some like apple wood at like 450, 500 degrees. 
and roast that for uh, it doesn't take very long maybe 20 minutes or so um, until an internal temperature about 125 130 pull that off it has that nice red hue to it yeah and and I don't I, I haven't perfected it by any means uh, but I'm consistent on getting it off at the right temperature and getting you know getting it look you know that perfect medium rare yeah i live and die by the probe thermometer i'm with you yep so that that's and then probably make like uh smoky potatoes so i'll make uh take potatoes and cut them into wedges and throw them on there with that that uh back strap so they get the smoke from the from the Komodo Joe and uh, have them seasoned up too with something from Tacticalories, a salt and pepper probably, and, you know, maybe a glass of wine. But, uh, yeah, not nothing too fancy. Something something that that's, uh, I know I won't screw up or less of a chance of screwing up. There you go. Well, hey, I mean, out of this question I've asked, I, Backstrap has come up like – five out of the six times that I've asked it. So it's definitely a, a favorite. Like backstrap comes up on date night quite often. And my my wife is not um she she's not real big on those those fancy roasts or you know the braised shanks or osabuco or anything like that. She's she's pretty you know down home, you know, even just a, a a nice juicy venison burger, you know, she would pick that over a lot of things. Good deal, good deal. All right, I got a bonus. I got dish three. Um, we we already talked about nostalgia, but your whole blog is outdoor dad, and you know, you're picking up the torch and you're like, I'm going to share my lifestyle with these kids that I've, that I'm raising up in the, in the lifestyle. So you, you got a third dish, Corey, this is my first third dish and I'm throwing it out to you. I, I have worked really hard at trying to find something that kids are going to eat. And it's, it's just because they're kids again, expectation. You know, I throw out backstrap and they are like, ew, gross. And it's like, you don't even know. You just, you heathen, get out of here. But at the same time, like they're just kids. What, what have you found to be a home run with your three kids that works, that's wild game related? Well, for my son's birthday, he actually asked for that backstrap recipe that I just explained. But one thing that they consistently eat when we cook it is, is uh, breakfast for dinner, Brinner. I I uh I have I made uh venison breakfast sausage and they'll they'll eat that up, you know, put a little maple syrup on it, you know, pancakes as a side. They'll they'll eat that up. Um I do like a sixty forty blend venison to uh pork butt and then um Tata Calories has uh that drop tine maple seasoning. So I'll, I'll I'll mix that in, and um, uh, put a quart, at least a quart of like actual pure maple syrup, not the not the pancake fake maple syrup. No, no, like the, the good, good stuff. The good stuff. Um, my my boss at work, his family actually uh, produces their own maple syrup, so I'll I'll get a quart from him, and um, 
I'll mix that in there and and the, the kids kids eat that up. They they love that stuff. So, you know, sometimes I get the the you know I don't want that with the backstrap or a hamburger or, or you know, a venison burger or something, but when I when we make that that venison sausage, they'll they'll scarf that right down, especially with pancakes and and eggs, so well, good deal, good deal. And I love the the breakfast for dinner. It's that's a home run anyway. You know they're all, they're yeah. all excited about that. Well, Corey, this has been an awesome hour. Uh, man, it's flown by. Um, I do want to give you a moment of just this is your shameless plug. Where can we find Corey Sly? A Sly? Where can we find your writings? Um, you, you you just mentioned tactical or. Tacticalories, I, I missed that one completely. Tell us a little bit about that. But yeah, this the stage is yours. Where can we find you? Well, uh, Tacticalories, um, it's a seasoning company that one of my good friends started. Um, he's based out of uh, Rochester, New York. Um, and he, uh, he creates these awesome seasoning blends that uh, they're small batch craft blends. So... They're super fresh, fresh. So when you order it, when they get to your door, you know they're just a couple days old. Um, it's not been sitting in some warehouse for for months on end. Um, and he has put some some really good blends together. Um, uh, salt and pepper is one of our favorites. That was one of his first blends. Um, uh, we love the Battlegrounds blend. That it's like a coffee coffee style coffee rub. Um, the, uh, surprisingly, my wife loves the hand cannon honey habanero. It has, has a kick to it, which she doesn't, she doesn't typically like, but that has enough sweetness to it that it, it, uh, really goes together and we like that one. And then, uh, they just, (laughs) he just came out with, um, a barbecue sauce, uh, like a candy apple whiskey barbecue sauce. I could, I could drink that out of the bottle. Oh, dang. (laughs) I love that. But uh, he, um, Casey, uh, uh, my friend, uh, he's he started Tacticalories. He's really done a great job uh, of, of picking his blends and, and knowing what goes with what. And he he's, has that drop time um, package where you can get uh, – uh, there's like a spicy jerky seasoning. You have the maple seasoning, uh, a chili mix. So it's, it's – uh, I would definitely – Definitely check it out, tacticalories.com. Um, I have my own blog, uh, outdoorsmandad.com. Um, uh, I, you know, have write on, have my uh, articles and, and stories on there. Um, harvesting nature, obviously. Um, and then I, I write for Go Wild as well. So if you're in the app, They'll put the the articles right in the app, so you can read them in there. So, uh, and then I've been in several uh, regional newspapers, like the Outdoor News. Uh, I think Michigan has the uh, version of the Outdoor News. Yeah. Um, I've, I've we've written for them. Harvesting Nature has a deal or works with with uh, them for the Taste of the Wild. So um, you'll see chefs from uh, Harvesting Nature in there. Um, with with some recipes, um, but yeah, and I'm I'm on Instagram Outdoorsman Dad, Facebook Outdoorsman Dad, 
Pa, I believe, and then the Go Wild app. Uh, so that's that's my shameless plug. There you go. Well, hey, folks, make sure you uh, you check out Outdoorsman Dad. You check out Corey Sly. Uh, this dude knows exactly what he's talking about. He's got great stories. He's got great recipes. This has been a fun hour. Um, Corey, hold on for just a moment, um, but I'm going to send the folks out uh, tonight. Thanks again for tuning in, and uh, keep your knife sharp.